Welcome back to Timely, the Randomonium podcast, where three friends talk about random, fun topics from the past, the present, and the future. I'm John Stom. I'm producer Jeff McCullough. And I'm Danny Gula, and today is a very special episode because where we normally talk about three random topics and each of us bring one, we're talking about one thing, one massive conspiracy that fills St. Louis's history for a long time. It's uh, it, it's going to get deep, and it's going to get dark and weird, and what's cool about this episode is that Danny and I know a lot about this story, um, this kind of conspiracy, this weird thing that we want to talk about. Jeff doesn't really know much about it at all, so... And I wouldn't even call... Like, you might call this a conspiracy... It's it's not even a conspiracy. It's 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 true. It's pretty just a bunch of true weird facts that kind of show how conspiracy can have some truth. But it's, you've you've brought this up before and have not told me about it because we knew we might talk about it at some point on the podcast. Even though it's not a conspiracy, there's something mysterious about this yes. that oh, for sure is is at the very least incredibly controversial, creepy. I would say creepy, creepy, creepy and it's pretty fitting. Honestly, for when people think about St. Louis's history and some of our, you know, skeletons that are in our closet, like it, mm-hmm. it really does make make a lot of sense. Now, I would also like to reference a uh, an episode of the podcast that we have done in the past. I think it was episode maybe eighteen of the Denver Airport conspiracy. Yes, we dedicated an entire show to talking about the weird things that happen at the uh, the Denver Airport. There's you know statues and symbolism and murals that are kind of weird and creepy. So if you haven't listened to that episode, it's one of our most popular, most downloaded episodes of this podcast. So go back and listen to the Denver Airport conspiracy. That kind of if if you have listened to it, you'll know where we're going to kind of go with this episode. We're going to just dive deep into one topic and it's going to get weird. And before we get into it, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, uh, Sharper Image. They have a handful of really awesome RC uh, vehicles uh, uh, that we made commercials for, actually, which are really cool, and they're available now at Target. So uh, if you're into RC, you know you should definitely check out. They've got some really cool monster trucks, but my favorite thing is called Wave Rage, which is this really cool little RC boat that tows a tube rider behind it. And the point is kind of to be a game with your friends to like knock over each other's tube rider, which I think is a fun take on the RC boat genre. Very cool. They're really fun commercials. We had a lot of fun making them. And I will say that Sharper Image, they've upped their game. They don't actually have physical stores, but they have the products are, are really cool, uniquely designed from the ground up by this really brilliant designer who's working there now. And these RC cars and boat um, that we're talking about are- And drones. And drones. That's true. They've got, they've got a lot of stuff. They're, they're at Target. They're super cool. Go check them the out. The land, the sea, and the air, all <laughs> available now by Sharper Image at Target. So go check that out. So, before we get into the actual topic we're talking about, it centers around St. Louis. That's the part that's creepy off the bat for us, because we talked about the Denver airport conspiracy, and I didn't know what was going on then either. You guys were filling me in. Denver is far away from here. Yeah, Denver's far away. It's a solid 12 to 13 hour drive, right? St. Louis is literally 15 minutes from where we're sitting. We're in the St. Louis metropolitan area as we record this, So, and we all grew up here, so this, this feels like home. 
So I wanted to start this off by um, just throwing it to, to you, Jeff. What what do you think of, what are some great things about St. Louis? What, what do we got that other people are like, yeah. St. I mean, Louis. I could go on and on about this, but I'll just keep it as succinct as I possibly can. Let's first start off with history. Sure. I mean, it was the L.A. of America for a long time. It was the furthest west you could go, and all the big, you know, dreamers would come to St. Louis to start businesses, to trade, to trap, all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Lewis and Clark, they launched their voyage of discovery from here. Picked up uh, a whole bunch of uh, help here like they were able because this was a hub they were able to find people to yeah. help them <laughs> you're going to say they picked up a whole bunch of dysentery <laughs> <laughs> no that was it. later <laughs> yeah uh, I also love the sports teams. You guys aren't into the sports as much as I am, but St. Louis Blues, St. Louis Cardinals. I've heard that we have sports. We here. do have yeah. sports. Uh, the St. Louis Rams, God rest their souls, because now they got stolen from us and taken to Los Angeles, which is really sad. Um, I like the food. We got toasted ravioli. We got mm. gooey butter cake. Yeah. We've got um, a St. Louis style pizza called Emo's, which is dynamite. Oh, mm-hmm. amazing. Last but not least, you got the arch, man. You just got like. Um, that iconic view that's pretty much on any news back or, you know, yeah. uh, graphics that that sort of talk about America and the different locations. I love the city that we live in. We're we're biased, um, yeah. for sure, because we live in St. Louis. But I have always said, I think the St. Louis Arch is maybe America's coolest monument. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The design of it is super cool. It's very mid-century modern. If you've never seen the St. Louis Arch in, in real life, you got to come check it out at some yeah. point. This is not an ad for, for the Arch, but it's just cool. And it's cool to go up in. It's a really unique experience to ride in that weird little elevator up uh-huh. to the top and check out the view and feel it sway. The other thing that's kind of iconic is just the St. Louis is known as sort of an iconic area of jazz and blues and some of that other stuff, which gets into even sort of the racial culture and climate that's around here, which is beautiful in some ways and really sad mm-hmm. in other ways. Mm-hmm. So it, and, and as we all know, St. Louis has been in the news a lot because there are a lot of problems. There's crime issues. But we love this city because it is flawed. It may be. Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing part of the country to live in. Yes. Yeah. The fascinating thing about all the things you just mentioned about what you love about St. Louis is you touched on almost every area that we're about to talk about. Okay. The food, the sports. Really? Back up and let's talk about sports for a second. Okay. So uh, my favorite sports team in St. Louis, and I'd argue most people's favorite sports team would be probably... Well, it's probably the Cardinals because we're a baseball town. I yep. prefer the Blues, but go on. Okay, baseball. What, what, where do they play? They play at Bush Stadium. It's a third Bush Stadium. Yeah, so Anheuser-Busch, one of the biggest companies in St. Louis. What are some other big like names, brands that St. Louis has that you think of? Monsanto. Yeah. Monsanto, good. Uh, Enterprise, as yeah. of recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, see, what are some other big St. Louis brands? Uh, Ralston Purina. Purina, yeah. Is, is, uh, is St. Louis, I think, Tums. Tom's the is antacid. Uh, what about groceries? Uh, Schnooks. Schnooks. Yep. Deerbergs. Deerbergs, right? Which are re- which are local. They're, they're regional. local, like regional stores, but these are like the big the big organizations in St. Louis. Yes. The big companies. Another big um, uh, beer one besides the big one, Anheuser Busch, mm-hmm. is Schlafly. Schlafly's a big one, yeah. So the reason we're mentioning all these company names, we're going to get to it down the road, but we're setting up something here because it's going to get weird. All right, so every year come the 4th of July, we have a giant parade and a huge party uh, called Fair St. Louis. Dude, Fair St. Louis, I grew up going to what we called the VP Fair. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, they had a huge parade, which is, well, I'm sure probably what we're touching on here. 
and you would go down to the landing. Yep. Mm-hmm. You'd go down to the arch grounds. You would sit underneath the arch with hundreds of thousands of people, literally. The whole mm-hmm. city would gather. It was hot. Concerts, food. Yeah, and they would bring in like, they would bring in pretty big acts. I think one year Tina Turner was there, another mm-hmm. year we saw the Beach Boys, and they would do air shows because we're close to an Air Force mm-hmm. base, and we would see amazing things. That... We usually get the B-2 bombers fly over because yeah. they're stationed nearby. It was just a huge party for the city. And then at night, like once the sun went down, the best, in my opinion, I always is like, St. Louis has the best fireworks show underneath the arch. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, well, yeah, that show is called, well, it used to be called the VP Fair. I grew up calling it the VP Fair. And Never I, knew why. People still call it that. People still call it that. A lot, a lot of people, even our age, especially older, call yeah. it the VP Fair. And they don't market it that way, do they? Didn't no, they no, stop no, marketing that way? It's, it's called Fair St. Louis now, ever since 1992, actually. Really? So, yeah, it, it, it switched a long time ago in 92, and people still hung on to huh. VP Fair. That's important. Yeah, so the VP Fair, the VP in that stands for Veiled Profit. It's from an organization called the Veiled Profit Organization. It all, that right there, I've never known what that was about, but I always just pictured this like ghostly witch woman mm-hmm. on a float with her face covered. It was yeah. very weird and creepy. Did and you see it? I you can't remember. remember. I, the veiled prophet? I feel like I have a memory of it, but I might be just imagining but, it. Yeah. By the way, we're saying prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, like like a like a prophetic like a person, person, like a, person yeah. like a prophecy. I picture like this old seer of some yeah. sort that yeah. just is like very creepy, and I yeah. never really understood it. Well, the veiled prophet organization is an organization which is is kind of like a, your Knights of Columbus. Like it's it's a collection, a club that you have to be invited into. You pay dues, you all these things. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about veiled prophet right now, just so you can see how they portray themselves. To that point, you, you just mentioned Knights of Columbus, uh, VFWs. It's also, I've always thought they're pretty closely related to the Masons. or some, It's like the Masons it's in It's similar sense. to Freemasonry. It's secret yeah. society. Yeah, secret, secret society. society. Yeah. Okay. There's not a lot of information. Even if you go to the Veiled Prophet organization's website, it's this really tiny website that pretty much has nothing but a portal for members to log into. I don't even know what it's for. Mm. It has so little information. So the VPO was originally founded with a parade and a ball over which the Veiled Prophet presided. It was presented as a way uh, to show pride in the city of St. Louis to the rest of the country and send a message that it was a modern city of progress. Uh, Started in 1878. Uh, Every year, a different member would preside as the unknown prophet who would wear a veil, and from the members of the organization, they would choose one of their daughters to be uh, chosen as the Queen of Love and Beauty. Now, this is an almost adult woman or an adult, a young adult woman. And it was called what? The Queen of Love and Beauty. Like, that sounds innocent until you bring it into a secret society, and it sure, immediately sure, sure. sounds very not okay. Well, uh-huh, uh-huh, they're, uh-huh. they're a great organization. Sure. I mean, yeah. the philanthropic arm of the VPO is called the VP Foundation, and they were founded to bestow gifts on the community, such as the Great Staircase, or sorry, the Grand Staircase near the Arch, uh, and the Overlook Stage on the Riverfront along with community service initiatives like renovating homes, packing meals for food outreach services, and restoration projects around the whole city. They sound they sound great. It sounds great. Oh, yeah. They, they actually... They, they do nice things. They do nice things. They actually still put on America's Birthday Parade, which is the official parade, uh, what it's called, around the 4th of July. Uh, and they still put on Fair St. Louis, which is was formerly known as the VP Fair. They also put on what's called the Veiled Prophet Ball, and that's where they do this whole queen of love and beauty thing. They described the Veiled Prophet Ball as the preeminent formal gala for introducing young ladies generally in their sophomore year of college to the St. Louis metropolitan community. For what purpose? I don't know. That's what they say. 
They're introducing them, They're to, introducing the community, them Jeff. to the community, Jeff. Why what, why what's, what's weird about that? Why do they need an introduction? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So do you want to get talking about maybe these founders? It founded a long time ago, 1878, so just post-Civil War. Imagine what the world was like, what St. Louis was like. Yeah, St. Man. Louis was probably super unique, too, because of what kind of state it was during the Civil War. I mean, if you want to talk about St. Louis being at its height, you're getting into the right time frame. And the, you know, 1904 World's Fair. That's right. St. Louis, a lot of people don't realize this, but it it... Before Chicago got big, St. Louis was the big. It was like New York City and St. Louis. Perfect phrasing there because Chicago getting big was the key to this getting started. So uh, a guy named Alonzo W. Slayback and his brother Charles E. Slayback uh, both saw that Chicago was starting to overshadow St. Louis. Like they had a bunch of railroads that went up there, all kinds of things. Manufacturing was going up there. So they needed to get things up. So they gathered together 200 of the most influential people they had in St. Louis, white men. We're talking about business elites, you okay. know, of, of St. Louis. So, and, and not only just business, like clergy, uh, government work, yeah, government you know, police, anybody who's got some power in St. Louis, okay. gathered these people together and and said, hey, we, we, we got to do something here. So a little background on Alonzo and his brother Charles. They were both uh, Confederate soldiers. Alonzo was a Confederate colonel, and his brother was a Confederate cavalryman. Okay. Now, you, you might think that's weird, uh, given where we were, but actually there was a lot of Confederate soldiers from Missouri. It was kind of like a split state. Yeah, I mean, obviously, though, red flags are going up when former Confederate soldiers are putting together secret societies 13 years after the Civil War. Ended. Yes. A year prior... There was a giant strike across the nation in 1877. It was called uh, the Great Railroad Strike of 1877. Okay. Pretty self-explanatory. Pretty self-explanatory. It was a national railroad strike that brought together 1,500 black and white railroad workers and actually brought the entire freight industry in America to a halt for a week, which mm. is really impressive for its day to organize that whole thing. Yeah, I would I would imagine at the time. That, I mean, that would be like the airline industry, including like FedEx planes and all that just shutting just down. stopping. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so imagine in St. Louis, you know, there's all these railroad workers, white and black, uh, you know, mostly blue collar people who are working um, on these railroads, and they suddenly decide we need to organize, we need to unionize, and get some better working conditions. Help me make the connection here between these unions that are starting in a railroad strike to these former Confederate. You said they were brothers? Sure, they were brothers. Now, they are, were both businessmen that are wanting to start this sort of networking movement with business people and influential people. Right. So imagine who who would stand to um, be opposed to the unionization of labor. It, it'd be the, the powerful company, business elite, okay, powerful right. people yeah. in okay. the city who would say, we don't want you to have this much power. You should, uh, should not organize together. Okay. Yeah, it actually took a significant force to stop the strike. Uh, in St. Louis, it ended when 5,000 recently deputized, quote, uh, special police were added to the already existing federal troops that were trying to quell this protest. Um, just forced the workers to stop striking. Ended up killing 18 strikers. In St. Louis? In St. Louis. Interesting. And for people who might not know what a union is, a union is basically when a group of employees or people that are in a specific type of like industry uh, come together to form a structure that gives them more rights as employees so they can't be abused by the higher-ups in a company. It's almost like employees like forming an, uh, an, an alliance. Yeah, right? they all band together to give themselves power over the people who seem to have more power over the individuals. And even if it's not power over them, it's to at least meet them. Because yeah, to like level it. The reason why unions wanted to start is because 
for a long time in factories and stuff like that, the working conditions were terrible. The pay was bad. There was all kinds of injustice. It just wasn't fair. So people formed these unions to sort of have legal standing to fight these corporations that were essentially abusing their employees. Yeah. Right. So you asked earlier, like, why would, what's the connection here? Well, the primary goal of the meeting was to take back the public stage from the growing populist and social demands for social justice and uh, economic justice. So these large company businessmen mm -hmm. wanted to take back. These the powerful power. people were trying to take it back. So they created, they came up with this idea. They, they took the idea of the veiled profit from a few other things, this hodgepodge similar to the Freemasons, where it's just this hodgepodge of Eastern stories to create this mystical person. But they scheduled the original parade to actually disrupt the already existing union parades that were around that era. So they basically took over the street so that these unions didn't have the time or places to have parades anymore that were pro-union parades. So they crashed the protests. They crashed their protests. This is a year after the protests. So this is like the protests had went away and they're trying to figure out how to like take back this ongoing conversation. Well, they're, they're afraid. Yeah. The, the, the big wigs are afraid that the, the blue collar guys are having, you know, too much power. Yeah, they're afraid. They, they, they wanted to get the idea across that Anybody who had power and money earned it through good morals and ingenuity and it being an industrious person. So the story behind the Veiled Prophet was it was this guy who came from far away and made his fortune here on his own. So it was this it it was this idea that like you can be rich too. And if you see someone who's not rich, it's because they're lazy. That was the story that the whole parade actually told was that you can make your own way here in America as long as you're industrious. It's a progressive country. There's progress left and right as long as you're not lazy. So this is a classic story of, of good guy versus bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, the company, uh, the businessmen and all these company owners are being seen as bad guys. And they're afraid that all the employees and these people striking are the good guys. And they want to reverse that narrative so that the company owners look like the good guys. Yep. yep. Okay. So all of these most powerful people come together. They put on this big parade. It's a big success. They put on this big ball. It's a big success. It's I mean, who doesn't, like, who doesn't like parades? I mean, kids love it. I mean, this is a very yeah. German area and parades are a very big part of German culture. Yeah. yeah. So it just it got out there and it was great. And in fact, the, um, the, the people seemed to be okay with it for the most part. Uh, and the very first veiled prophet, the very first hidden person, we never knew who they were. The only one who ever revealed their identity was the very first one, and it was the police commissioner of St. Louis. And is this veiled prophet veiled just so that it remains sort of a, like you don't tie it to a specific identity or person, but like it can be anybody? Yeah, it's a, it's a fictional character. There's right. like a whole grand tale behind it. Um, but it's just mostly so you don't know, I think, who's pulling the strings behind the organization at that moment. Now, whether or not that's how it's run, like the Veiled Prophet does run it, we don't know. We don't really know how this organization runs behind closed doors. But who the Veiled Prophet is, is a very closely guarded secret. The only one person who ever voluntarily revealed themselves was that first one. And the police commissioner, remind you, was the same police commissioner that was in charge of quelling those protests a um, year earlier. So it's also interesting just to know, just to connect that police commissioner and just the idea of the police in general with these corporate bigwigs. So, okay, so we're yeah. starting to see maybe who's on which side of this struggle. Mm. So tell me if this news narrative sounds familiar. Up until that event, that first parade, this was the message that was getting put out in the press um, that strikers were being labeled as rioters and tramps and loafers who were anxious to pillage and plunder. That that was the whole idea, that we needed to be uh, have order and subservience 
in order to have progress. Well, wow, that's kind of it's kind of creepy how that sounds like the way protesters recently have been characterized. Well, yeah, uh-huh. and even when I moved back to St. Louis, you know, uh, like six or so years ago, right when Ferguson was happening, that was all everybody was talking about was these protesters were burning them down. Like this was just nobody really wants to protest. There's not really a problem. It's just people wanting to riot. Right. Is that that's how you that's how you give a counter narrative to a very compelling story. Right. So now we're at the end of the 19th century. Uh, and we've got this well-established organization that's moved on in the 20th century. It keeps going year after year after year. They do this ball. And when you start looking at the names of the people in this organization, now we don't necessarily know who is a member because we don't always get to hear that, but we do get to know who are the queens of love and beauty. These are the women, girls, who are chosen to be um, honored, mm-hmm. I guess, as the, the queen of love and beauty. And that means they they sit next to the veiled prophet. They sit next to the veiled prophet at the ball. Throne. At the ball. Yep. Picture picture this ball. It's very you know elaborate. There's like, uh, you know, ornate costumes and um, very high society and just sort of almost kind of has that like silliness to it too, where it's that the costumes are kind of over the top, like elaborate robes and huge thrones. This is what your veiled prophet ball and his queen look like. So what I'm looking at here is. It was, it's two thrones, essentially, surrounded with purple draping and a... Giant bouquet of flowers. The the Yeah, the princess of love and prosperity. Is queen, that, of queen of love, of love and, and beauty. Pro- and beauty is sitting there in like a... Almost old, like a wedding dress. It's an old school, yeah, wedding dress, Miss America, brown dress, feather whatever. On her head. With flowers sitting next to... What well, looks like the Pope with a wedding veil over his head. Right. With and a, a weird pointy hat. So uh, we don't know necessarily who all the members are, but let me read you some of the names of the queens that we know of. And you can find this list on Wikipedia if you look up uh, the Veiled Prophet Ball. Uh, We'll start with number one, Susie Slayback. Connected to the founder of the whole organization. Now, mind you, the claim is that these women are chosen for their community service. These are women of pride and, like... There are women that we can say, like, look at these great things these young women have been doing for the community. How are they chosen? Are they, like, nominated from within the organization? Yeah, they're supposed to be okay. nominated from within the organization. But uh, let's let's just talk about some of these names here. Um, we've got Slayback, Alice Bush. Okay, mm. from Anheuser-Busch from Anheuser family. Bush. There's some Schnucks okay. of the Schnucks grocery store. There are lots of Schnucks grocery stores around St. Louis. There's my favorite, Miss Ellie Kemper, in 1999, won the Veiled... Uh, prophet queen of love and beauty now you might know her from her roles in the office and the unbreakable kimmy schmidt uh her family actually is super well connected in all of missouri founded uh umb bank founded commerce bank uh you'll see kemper buildings all over the city there are some of the wealthiest people in st louis so interestingly enough you mentioned the office pam from the office is also from st louis but this isn't pam this is Erin yeah. from the office who, who was, she took Pam's job. Yeah, before, she, took, right? t- okay. she took over Pam's job. So she's from St. Louis and she was one of the queens of love, love and, beauty. and beauty. Ellie Kemper was born in 1980. So, so she was 19. She's exactly my age. So yeah. she was 19 at that time. Right. Yeah. But there's, it's just these same families over and over again. Schlafly, Merritt, Johnson, Johnson, Elliot, <laughs> Schnook. They're like a Schnook one most recently, actually. So the point being, all of the names associated with group, or a lot of them, of these young ladies are daughters and nieces, granddaughters of really powerful business people in St. Louis. And frequently daughters of previously winning queens. Okay. 
So, like, these are people who, like, we say, again, this is for, this is an organization about community helping, but the people who are, the women who are winning these awards are the same families over and over again. Right. And to which somebody said, if you would have looked at the families who ran most of the big companies in St. Louis when this organization started, and you look at the families who run the big organizations and companies in St. Louis now, it's almost all the same names. There's a few new things, like the Enterprise organization. Right. That's a newer company. Sure. There's a few newer ones in here. But man, most of the big old money in St. Louis, it's the same families and they are all members of this society. Yeah. How likely how likely is it that, you know, all of the wealthy, well-connected women are the most charitable, doing the most community service? Not likely. What what does she do? What what role does she play? She will uh, ride on the float with the veiled prophet during the parade. Okay. Um, and she will just, it's kind of just this face. She gets an award. She gets these things. Now, it's very important to remember that the woman who wins is supposed to be a maiden. Now, if you don't know what a maiden is, it's an unmarried woman. Okay. So in 1922, a woman won who had secretly gotten married a few days before. Mm-hmm. Once word got out that she was not a maiden and was given the uh, title, they took her title away. They gave the Veiled Prophet organization gave her some money, told her to get out of town, not use her real name anymore, don't check into any major hotels, and she was basically shunned by everybody she knew and made to feel completely embarrassed about herself and completely ashamed of her actions because she got married days before this event. That part just freaks me out in general. Like thinking about it is this it's this weird organization of a bunch of powerful old men and they take from this, some of their daughters. So he, the veiled prophet, though, is he considered the king necessarily or not Not really? He's considered the head of this whole organization. Well, if that's the case, then, I mean, again, why can't they have, like, a king of love and pros- love and beauty? Again, like, I keep wanting to say prosperity because... Why, that, don't, why don't they have Mr. America? Well, there weren't women allowed into this organization. And there, there, I think there are some women that are allowed into it now. But for the longest time, there was no women and there were no people of color until the 70s. Okay, but to that point, that's like, it's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like women weren't allowed into this organization, wouldn't it make sense that they would choose a very self-driven young man who's doing a lot of community service and all this, who's going to be a future business owner or run a company, maybe in St. Louis, to be that role? The women, the women are just, were like, just, they're just trophies. They're the trophy. So around the middle of the 20th century, when people started watching TV, the VP decided that this was a good opportunity to get this out in front of people. So let's put on this big extravagant gala and we'll play it on KSDK. Which is a major station here in St. Louis. Yeah, so they started broadcasting the ball, and it became a big event until about the 70s. In 1969, an organization called Action started protesting it. Action started protesting it because it seemed very... uh, One-sided? One-sided, yeah. Like, it was pro-rich, anti-poor, and there were zero people of color in this entire organization. At that point, in 1969, that's pretty late to not... Have admitted yeah, I mean, the civil color. rights movement was at its height the year before that. So it, was there a point where they started letting people of color in? In the 70s, in the late 70s. Okay. So Action protested this for a while. And um, in 1969, they pro- protested outside and uh, they had somebody be the black veiled prophet and the okay. black queen of love and beauty like as a protest. But sure. it, it gets really interesting in 1972. And this is where you start to really see the power of this organization. In 1972, two white members of Action got into the Veiled Prophet Ball off of tickets they acquired from somebody and um, wore gowns. It was two females. They wore gowns. And the, from the balcony, they threw leaflets off of the top of the balcony. Like all over protesting, 
leaflets describing what they were protesting. Yeah, and that would be enough on its own to be like a big statement to get made. Sure. Like in the middle of this grand event that some people just start throwing leaflets and shouting. But that was all a distraction. At which point one of the women tried to slide down the speaker wires. Oh no. Onto the stage. She fell. Yeah, I was going to say, speaker wires usually are not very reinforced. Yeah, she fell. Um, her uh, didn't really hurt herself when she got up. She had kind of knocked herself out for a second. When she got up, she told the story like she had been, um, she just fell off the balcony. She had a little too much to drink. Okay. I believed it. At which point she decided to snatch the, uh, the hood off of the veiled prophet. The veil. Revealing none other than it's a VP from Monsanto. Okay, who's a gigantic corporation in St. Louis. Gigantic, and gigantic in America. Yeah, runs absolutely. all of agriculture in America. Right. Um, and this was a huge deal to see who it was. Nobody had known who a veiled prophet was any year over year except for the first one. Um, and we now knew who this was. And not only that, it was very, it was a very big deal who it was. Now, there's news there. There's cameras. There's newspapers there. Not a single newspaper printed the identity of that man. Interesting. Uh, for a while. They eventually did, and the only photo that you can find of it now is him getting his his veil back on. So I, I'm assuming that there are higher ups uh, as part of the newspapers that are also part of this. Oh yeah, society. probably probably a little afraid to print the identity of sure. Oh yeah, Mr. Monsanto. So um, after she pulled the hood off of him, it was this whole big deal. She gets escorted out. Her car blows up later. How much later? A couple of days. She in it? Nope, it was outside her house. So she was okay. But her car blew up. Which is not a common mechanical issue with cars. Not usually an alternate. I mean, they might catch on fire, but they don't blow up. Um, Later, a couple years later, Action was protesting again. Somebody sprayed ear tent on somebody, got escorted out and charged uh, with police. Now, was that, have all of these protests been primarily because of race? Mostly because of race. It was seen as a very, it was seen as an organization that over the years was It's white power. Yeah. And a lot of the protesting does go hand in hand with the VP ball being televised. So it became much more obvious, like on everybody's TV screens. Like you're looking at this guy who looks like he's in the Ku Klux Klan right. sitting on this throne. He's got this white robe and this this hood. And you know, it, it just looks creepy. And so that's, and it's right, like we said, it's right in the middle of the civil rights movement and stuff. So, and you mentioned the Klan, and that's kind of an important thing to talk about because the very first picture of the veiled prophet is very different than what the veiled prophet looks like right now. Look at this. Uh, this black and white photo here. Straight up Klansman. Now, it should be important to note that that happened. That's the original one from 1878, and he's holding a pistol, holding a rifle and, or a shotgun, and another shotgun is next to him. Okay, why? What is that? We don't know. That that symbolism went away immediately the next year. I mean, that, I mean, that, obviously, that's just sending law and order. I would imagine violence, power, law and order, power. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it should be noted that the Klan didn't get their hoods until the 20th century. Which I just found out recently. That happened after uh, the film *Birth of a Nation*. Okay. That was like kind of revitalized the Klan in its day. Okay. Um, so yeah, while it is very eerily similar, even the one now, like the Veiled Prophet now, looks like some weird ornate Klansman. Honestly, it looks like King Klansman if if there was one. Yeah, mixed with all sorts of other cultural appropriation. Yeah, and then so you know you can fast forward. You see. The organization getting called out more and more and more. They stopped televising the event because it just was too toxic. It was too controversial, like the organization as a whole. And then ultimately in the 90s, you see... Well, Saint, in, in 1992, they yeah, you stopped see, calling it the VP Fair. Yeah, the city removed the name from 
the fair because of the connotation of it with the Veiled Prophet organization. And this day, we don't know much about the organization. I'm interested in more of like, I, I want to know the backstory to the Veiled Prophet. I want to know where they got that concept. Because yeah. to me, that would be key to understanding what they do and why they're, it's called. It's pretty. Um, the Veiled Prophet organization, yeah. right? So if by name, the Veiled Prophet, and they've got this character who people aspire to be or chosen to be what where does that come from where does the veiled prophet come from it comes from uh, i believe it's a poem it's a story and so there's this whole big thing of this traveler and it's kind of taken from a bunch of other stories yeah it's the story was come from a person's story it's called mokana it's a it's he's a veiled brute essentially he represented uh the author's disappointment in the uh, degeneration of the french revolution egalitarian and democratic promises into anarchy and terror like he thought that these things that this revolution was going like so it's formed after this anti-democratic ideal and this prophet mokana um he rapes and corrupts the beautiful and virtuous high priestess zelica who inspired saint louis's queen of love and beauty there we go this is what i've been trying to figure out here like if if that if they're playing characters that's right. why they're dressing up and putting on these garbs and giving each other these names. Yeah. Um, that is disconcerting. I mean, and that's, that's really where the intrigue for me comes in, too. It's like, okay, there's a secret society that does weird meetings and they've got these strange rituals. I mean, that's what the Masons are. That's what the Shriners are. So it's just another one of those. But if, if it's tied to uh, power-hungry individuals um, and this very dark story... That they're they're getting their identity inspiration from, from yep. then that's that is disturbing for sure. Yeah, yeah. This really gets into me like the whole the intrigue behind secret societies in general. Like the Masons, they're always creepy. They've got this weird like Egyptian like imagery and stuff like that, and it's tied to secret knowledge that if you're in the the Masonic uh, fraternity lodge. or lodge yeah. or the culture, then only you know things and you can't say anything. The whole, I, I've never really understood what is the purpose of a secret society. If anything, it just sounds like uh, an alternative to like being religious, or maybe some people would say that it is a form of religion that is like yeah. not what the majority of religion around here is Christian. I don't know yeah. why. What is the point of a secret society? But I get the point of society. Like VFW halls, they make complete sense to me. It's sure. like these guys that that fought together in foxholes now have a place to come and have a beer and eat fish with each other. Like those make sense. But these weird fraternities, societies where there's all of this like playing dress up veiled information. There's is no very reason strange. for the secrecy. Yeah. Other than to cover up something. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like what, yeah. What other purpose is there than to try to just exclude certain people and keep certain things very, very private. Yeah. Do you so. think we could get into the ball this year? It's the Friday before Christmas. Let's do it. You want to try? John's down. Jeff has given me this stare, like no, no, no. I'm, I'm not afraid. I just um, see the, the thing. The thing that's about bringing up a, a conspiracy to me is, I am, and I probably should have said this at the beginning. I'm a hard sell on conspiracies. Sure. I usually don't believe in conspiracies. Now I get there is a flaw to that thinking, right? Um, because as you have said before, I think you got it from some philosopher or comedian. No, I got it from a comedian, Stand-up from Ron comedian. Funches. Yeah, like not everybody's telling us the truth. Right? Yeah, you, the government's not batting a thousand. Right, so I get that there are things that we are being lied to about. I think where I struggle with conspiracies and controversies is I tend to lean on 
Well, let's not freak out about what we don't know. Let's just lean on what we do know. So, um, but I completely see how a society that is interwoven into the culture and business and power of St. Louis that has such a sordid past and mysterious uh, roots is, that is still in operation, Right, is creepy questionable it's yes i think it's fascinating to me and we've brought this up personally between us before that the the scars from the civil war run so deep Mm -hmm. and in my opinion i think the way we handled the like how we addressed the confederacy could have probably been done much better i mean just to look like we we just left it open for stuff like this to happen like the idea that confederate officers could roll around and create the most powerful organization in saint in a major american city that's frightening yeah the ideology that was allowed to persist um i think we're still suffering as a nation because of an unwillingness and ability or ineffectiveness at shutting down those ideologies and you got to learn from history i mean looking at these guys who they used the same propaganda message against protesters against strikers against people who are looking for justice that are being used against protesters now right like we we should learn from the lesson of history we can it's very painfully obvious how wrong they were in 1878 and they're doing the same thing now. And we're making the same mistakes by ignoring it and using the same excuses to write off these protesters. We're asking ourselves for another problem like this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's a thing. So what is what is the next stop on our conspiracy route here, guys? Because What's, what's the next log we're going to roll over? I don't know. But whatever it is, whatever you choose, you need to avoid your car being blown up yeah, after. Okay. Let's just get a fake car and okay. we'll park it outside. <laughs> And then we'll put, like, John and Danny's car. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That way, if somebody wants to blow it up, they'll choose that one. That'll get them. I think next we should take on the big zinc lobby. That's not a bad suggestion because... That's that's a callback. You have teased that for a long time. That's that's early days of this podcast. I don't don't know if it's a whole podcast. I got to get into that because I've I've crunched the numbers, and it's fascinating. Just just make something up. (laughs) Isn't isn't that what most conspiracies are? Just make something up, Danny. I'm not a fan of making stuff up. I like being... I like being right. Well, then see what you want to see. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> There's a reason why Timely is the Randomonium podcast. We cover all kinds of stuff, whether it's light and silly and fun or kind of dark and mysterious and possibly very depressing. Yeah. <laughs> this this has been... I'm not even going to say this has been fun. This has been interesting. It's been, fascinating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah eye-opening. Well, well, we've got a lot more to explore, and hopefully you know, that inspires you guys to, to do your own research and to dig into this story and possibly more in your own local area because there's got to be there's got to be more weirdness like this out there. So, And that's why I think it's cool that we're talking about this because it's important for us to not just look the other way when something disconcerting is on our radar. And this is a disconcerting um, organization so I think it's good that we're questioning it and we're looking into it, that we're raising the question to yeah. it because you take it for granted, to your point, there's no telling what we are just allowing to continue by just assuming that, ah, it's probably fine. Yeah. 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 Just a veil. Just a veil <laughs> with some weird, powerful man underneath. It's fine. <laughs> probably fine. Yeah. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this special episode of Timely. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with a regular past, present, and future episode next time. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Um, like this, leave a comment, uh, do whatever you can do on your podcast platform. It's different on all of them. You could leave us a review. You could share it. 
you know, help us out a little bit. <laughs> Any of that action, it, it, it does good things. We're, we're really, we really like doing this podcast, and we like uh, when it gets shared around and, and passed to uh, friends and stuff like that. So if you have a favorite episode, send it to somebody you know and, and strike up a conversation. And you if know? you do join this Timely Club, we promise not to blow up your car. Maybe. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I can promise that. All right. See you next time. Later. Later.